Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen and welcome to Parkland Corporation's Q2 2020 conference call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on August 7th, 2020. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Brad Monaco, Director of Capital Markets for Parkland. Please go ahead. Thank you. With me today on the call are Bob Espy, President and CEO, Darren Smart, Senior Vice President, Corporate Development and Interim CFO, and Dirk Lieber, VP Capital Markets. We also have Ian White, our SVP Strategic Marketing and Innovation, available for Q&A. This call is webcast and I encourage listeners to follow along with the supporting slides. We will go through our prepared remarks, then open it up for questions from the investment community. Please limit yourself to one question and a follow-up as necessary. And if you have other questions, re-enter the queue. We would ask analysts to follow up directly with the Capital Markets team afterwards for any detailed modeling type questions. During our call today, we may make forward-looking statements related to expected future performance. These statements are based on current views and assumptions and are subject to uncertainties which are difficult to predict. These uncertainties include, but are not limited to, expected operating results and industry conditions, among other factors. Risk factors applicable to our business are set out in our annual information form and management's discussion and analysis. We will also be discussing non-GAAP measures which do not have any standardized meetings prescribed by GAAP. These measures are identified and defined in Parkland's continuous disclosure documents which are available on our website or CDAR. Please refer to these documents as they identify factors which may cause actual results to differ materially from any forward-looking statements. Dollar amounts discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. I will now turn the call over to Bob. Thank you, Brad, and good morning. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today to discuss our strong second quarter results. On our opening slide, we showcased a great picture of a brand new retail location in Calgary, Alberta. We opened the site in early July, which features our Chevron, On the Run, and Triple O brands, all which are proprietary to Parkland in Canada. This is our first co-located Triple O site outside of British Columbia, and the initial customer response has exceeded expectations, with the best opening results in the company to date. These results reinforce the strength of our retail value propositioning including our regionally relevant four core brands and commitment to growing our non-fuel gross profit. Our on-the-run convenience store and branded food partner, supported by our Journey Rewards Program, represent a compelling customer proposition. We will continue to advance this concept in new geographies as we ramp up our future network development activities and allowing our customers to make the most of every stop. We last spoke in early May as we were exiting the trough in COVID-19 demand destruction. As we've seen towards 
through the Q2 earnings session, it has been a tough second quarter for a lot of businesses. And in some regards, ours was no different. However, I believe we set ourselves apart with our quick and prudent reduction of capital spend and our ability to drastically lower our cost base. We are very pleased with our results as our financial and operating performance for the second quarter demonstrate the resilience and flexibility of our business. I'd like to congratulate the Parkland team, especially our drivers and store staff for their commitment, hard work and dedication to provide our communities with the essential products and services they rely on for delivering strong results for our shareholders during the most challenging quarter on record. Despite the challenging environment, we continue to advance our growth strategy and delivered on many key milestones. Let me touch briefly on some key highlights from the quarter. We maintained and enhanced our balance sheet strength by securing additional liquidity and refinancing two maturing bond issues, totaling $400 million, which is now due, not, which is now not due until 2028. Parkland is well positioned to manage through any further uncertainty and capitalize on growth opportunities. In late June, we delivered on our national rollout of Journey Rewards and launched the program at over 900 sites across Canada. I will speak in more detail when we get to the retail segment, but we are off and running with Journey and are excited with the early results. We, we safely completed the Burnaby turnaround and while we were delayed and adversely affected by some contractor productivity challenges and COVID-19, we were up and running in late April and did not have a single case of COVID-19 during the turnaround. We closed our Connemart Superstores acquisition in mid-May. And as is typical with our U.S. team, we have fully integrated and have added value quickly to this acquisition. Thanks to both the Parkland and Connor Martins for working hard to close the transaction in the middle of the pandemic. We proudly supported our Canadian, US and international communities through the pandemic by donating over $4 million of fuel and premium food items to frontline healthcare workers and Canada's truck driving community. I'll now pass over to Darren to go through the corporate financial results. Darren. Great, thanks Bob and, and good morning everyone. We delivered adjusted EBITDA of $191 million for the quarter. As you can see in the chart on slide four, our combined marketing segments in Canada, USA, and international increased relative to last year, driven by strong fuel margins, acquisitions, organic growth, and operating and MG&A cost savings. These accomplishments helped offset volume declines due to COVID-19. As you would expect, our supply segment was lower year over year due to the turnaround, which was extended into April, uh, and strong comparable refining margins in Q2 2019. Recall that there were unplanned outages along the west coast of the U.S. in Q2 2019, which supported our refining margins last year. I alluded to operating and MG&A cost savings, and you can see the magnitude of these on the right-hand chart. Total OPEX and MG&A was $282 million in the quarter, which is 22% lower than our $362 million in Q2 2019. 
Our ability to deliver these efficiencies highlights the flexibility and adaptability of our business model and teams, and we are extremely pleased with how operations adjusted. Savings were driven by the variable nature of some costs and proactive cost control measures, supported by some benefit from the Canadian government's emergency wage subsidy program. When considering the strong operating performance and actions to reduce spend in late March, we were again able to self-fund our CapEx, acquisition activity, and dividends paid in the quarter. On to slide five, our original capital expenditure guidance was $575 million for the year, uh, which we quickly reduced to $275 million in late March in response to the impact of the pandemic. That prudent decision, along with our strong operating performance, helped generate significant cash flow in the quarter. Strong cash generation and business resiliency gives us confidence to increase growth capital by $20 million. We have also added back some maintenance capital to true up our turnaround costs to reflect the delays we had in Q2. All in all, we expect a $50 million increase to our capital forecast to around $325 million. This is well supported by our results year-to-date as well as our balance sheet strength. We sit at $1.6 billion of liquidity at the end of Q2, plenty of cushion and capacity for growth. Turning to page 6, our bank credit agreements allow us to normalize for the impacts of the Burnaby refinery turnaround when computing our total funded debt to credit facility EBITDA ratio, which came in under three times and provides us with significant headroom relative to our five times covenant. Our banking group continues to be supportive. We've also highlighted our debt maturity ladder pro forma, the bond financing executed in June. We closed on a 400 million 2028 maturity bond issue in the quarter and in July redeemed two bonds maturing in 2021 and 2022, totaling 400 million. We now have no senior note maturities until 2024, which provides additional financial flexibility for us to execute on our strategy. We will continue to ensure that our balance sheet remains strong and that we're well positioned to navigate any challenging market environments. I'll now turn it back to Bob to discuss the segment performance. Thank you, Darren. I'll start with Canada on slide seven. Adjusted EBITDA was 93 million, up by 30% relative to last year. While volumes were down due to stay-at-home orders implemented across the country and the economic slowdown, fuel margins strengthened, which helped compensate retailers for lost volume. And we benefited from our enhanced digital capabilities which strengthened our dynamic pricing capability. Costs in Canada adjusted to reflect volume declines, and our combined operating and MG&A expenses were approximately flat on a per-liter basis compared to last year. Our strong results were supported by the convenience store channel. I couldn't be happier with the resilience of our convenience store offer, which further demonstrated the strength of our customer value proposition. During the quarter, we saw customers alter their habits and frequent our stores to purchase grocery items, household essentials, take-home formats, tobacco, and alcohol. 
The team recognized this shift in behavior and immediately adjusted our merchandising plan to accommodate the change. We re remain focused on evolving our customer value proposition, tailoring our assortment, and keeping shelves fully merchandised with relevant offers in a safe customer environment. Company C store same store sales growth was 12.1%, our 18th consecutive positive quarter. The journey program was in its initial rollout phase when we paused in March. However, we completed the national rollout in late June. Membership trends are encouraging with improved average fill, C-store basket size, and visit frequency from CIBC cardholders. We are excited about our planned marketing launch program with CIBC in the coming months. Membership sign up in the key area of focus for the upcoming campaign. If you have not signed up, go to, journey, go to the Journey app and join. It is free and you can start to save. You can even win $1,000 for fueling up with us. Our commercial operations performed well and continue to win new business in the quarter. It speaks to the quality of our team being able to sign up several multi-million liter Cardlock customers during the pandemic. In terms of the recovery, the chart on the right of slide seven represents fuel and petroleum product volume since the start of March. As you can see, the recovery in volume has not been linear, but has been clear. Retail volumes have increased 40% from April lows. Commercial has recovered more slowly, but did not experience the same initial drop. Both are sitting around 15% lower in July relative to 2019. Margins have moderated slightly from Q2 2020, but remain strong. For our international operations, we delivered adjusted EBITDA 54 million, a decrease of 20 million compared to last year. Considering the more extensive COVID impacts in the region compared to our Canadian and US operations, we are extremely happy with the result. The geographic diversity within the region and the ability of the team to continue to win new business was evident in the quarter. As an example, we secured a five-year supply agreement in Guyana to service Exxon's offshore operations. The team has grown our commercial and wholesale volumes in the construction power and natural resource sectors across the region. You can see the volume trend for international on the left-hand chart on slide eight. Our, our retail line of business was hit hard in April due to strict curfew laws, with many sites closed early in the pandemic. We are in a seasonal low for tourism, and you can see how our robust base business has recovered with retail volumes off 10% relative to 2019. Commercial volumes were strong in the natural resource sector and benefited early on from higher than expected marine bunkering business. These volumes have fallen off slightly as some of our commercial driven markets have recently shut down due to COVID-19 and the aviation business remains down. We, have, we expect this to be a to be fluid for the remainder of 2020, but are happy with how overall operations have responded. We have also made significant progress on costs and integration activities during the second quarter, with combined operating and MG&A cost reductions of 18 million relative to prior year. Our US segment delivered second quarter adjusted EBITDA of 22 million, reflecting organic growth and the impact of acquisitions. 
strong per unit fuel margins and increased national account sale and marine fuel sales. The U.S was not immune to COVID-19, with the largest volume declines in the northern tier where Bakken energy activity was down. Retail volumes also declined. However, the natural, uh, however, the rural and suburban nature of our operations supported volumes relative to other areas of the country, and strong rack-to-retail margins offset that decline. Excluding acquisition growth, we grew in a very difficult quarter through our ability to add customers. A steady diet of new customers is the lifeblood of any healthy business, and we added over 300 new commercial customers in the quarter with seven, several multi-million liter wins. Finally, turning to supply, we delivered 40 million of adjusted EBITDA, significantly lower than 2019, primarily due to comparable quarter having 95% refinery utilization and strong refining margins tied to unplanned outages along the west coast of the U.S. I'm proud to say the refinery team successfully managed through the COVID-19 challenges while remaining healthy and safe. It was a large and complex scope of work. We had additional COVID-19 safety measures and issues related to weather, power failures, and contractor productivity. We mitigated as best as we could the pandemic, but did incur roughly 15 million of additional capital relative to our $60 million guidance. The refinery is, was up and running in late April, and we have tempered utilization to the underlying market demand. In May and June, utilization was between 75 and 80%, and is currently running between 80 and 85% through July. We will optimize the product slate and utilization as market conditions change. We continue to progress our overall supply strategy, evaluating optionality for product import into Quebec and Ontario, negotiations with suppliers, and building our co-processing capability. The refinery has demonstrated optionality by switching from tallow to canola due to product availability. On slide 11, I wanted to reiterate some of the opportunities in front of us for growth. This quarter has demonstrated the agile nature of our operations and ability to flex our business model quickly in a volatile economic environment. Just as we can pull back on growth early in the pandemic, we can ramp it back up. We have numerous options, most requiring small capital investments, and you can see some examples on, on the page. We are not getting ahead of ourselves, however. We will continue to be prudent stewards of capital and look for high return projects. This includes acquisitions, where we will look to continue our disciplined activity in the U.S. on the back of our strong cash flow generation, ample financial flexibility, and improving market backdrop. The extent and duration of the pandemic remains hard to predict, but our growth capabilities remain intact, and the team is ready to opportunistically execute our strategy. As I said, with our Q1 results call in challenging times, the resilience and flexibility of our business shines through. We have a diverse product and geographic footprint. When you combine this with our entrepreneurial culture, strict financial discipline, and organic growth initiatives, I believe we were well positioned in the second half of 2020 and beyond. Thanks to the entire Parkland team for a great quarter and a continued focus on safely supporting our customers and communities. Thanks to those on the line for your support, and we'll now open the line for questions. 
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from David Newman with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, David. How are you? Very good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good. Um, congratulations on a very good quarter and, and obviously a very quick reaction. I guess my first question would be, um, you know, $96 million OPEX and MG&A cost savings if you exclude the U.S., you know, sometimes these these uh, situations are an opportunity to kind of look in the mirror and 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 and, and dig down deep and look for inefficiencies in the organization. Uh, of the 80 million, Bob, I mean, how much do you think would be more permanent in nature that as we look into next year, you'll be able to enjoy enjoy the benefits of this as volumes return? Yeah, thanks, thanks, David. Good question. You know, I, I would say the quarter really demonstrated the flexibility and resilience of the business from a cost perspective. We do have a lot of, of, of costs which naturally unwind with volume. So what you saw was a large uh, readjustment in the cost in our variable cost space that happens naturally within the business. So I was very pleased to see that and certainly never got to test it to the extent that we saw in the quarter. Um, there certainly are some permanent cost savings that we have achieved. Um, we've also continued to push on our uh, systems and process improvements, which give us uh, long-term productivity improvements that you'll see in a lower cost base. In terms of the, the exact number, you know, we're, we're probably looking in the 50 to $70 million on an annual basis uh, across both the variable and, and uh, fixed costs on a permanent basis. That's, that's excellent. And second question, Bob, just on the, um, I just noticed across the board, it seems like you're, you're hitting your stride on, on winning new accounts, you know, Canada and diesel with your, uh, your, your um, fixed price offers. Looks like Canada propane a little bit as well your marine fuel contract in the Caribbean and some of the U.S. national accounts. At a high level, um, you know, what are your thoughts about the teams across the board and why they're now sort of hitting their stride? I know a lot of groundwork goes into it, and, and maybe some specifics on each geography as you kind of look at as, as you're winning all these accounts. 300 in the U.S., which is remarkable. Yeah, again, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased with what – team uh, was able to achieve in the quarter, you know, and, and I think uh, what the wins do is speak to the commercial intensity of our team and, and, and also our ability to continue to service our customers throughout, um, through, you know, through, through, throughout the pandemic and in, under any conditions. And, you know, that, that ability to continually serve is certainly the foundation of our of our success as a business, um, and um, it allows the sales team to go out and, and win new business. You know, I would say some of the items that the commercial business across each of the regions has been able to do 
is we, we've spent a lot of time last year implementing a new uh, sales generation process, a lead generation process okay. uh, called STORM. Uh, we've successfully implemented that across the business, and that's helped us track and, and also help the teams in terms of uh, winning and landing new business. Um, you know, the other thing is uh, our, our, we've been able to leverage uh, um, national accounts now across multiple jurisdictions. That's helped the fact that we're in multiple regions. And then, you know, finally, our risk management has enabled us to uh, 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 improve our customer value proposition and offer, offer fixed price contracts to customers so that they could take advantage of uh, lower commodity prices. So, you know, there, there's a number of things that have come together. You know, certainly a lot of hard work that was done last year is, is we're seeing the benefits of that in uh, 2020. And the, the, the system you put in is called STORM, if I'm not mistaken, is that what you said? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, a sales lead generation and management process. And if I could just squeeze in one, one more, Bob. I, on, in the U.S., is there a growing awareness of your national, as you've tethered together your, your rocks down in the U.S., that there's a growing awareness of, of your national exposure? Is that, is that kind of getting, hitting critical mass? You know, look, we're we're still in the rocks that we're in. I mean, we we do have great businesses there and great teams. You know, overall, relative to the U.S., our presence is very small in the yeah. U.S. And you know, and hence the opportunity on the M and A side to continue to be the acquirer of choice in those regions. You know, buy great businesses and fold them into our our business, like we recently did with Conomart. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Great results. Great. Thank you, David. Thanks for your support. Your next question comes from John Royale with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so the C-Store comps obviously came in really strong, um, despite some of the headwinds you called out. But um, I was just hoping to pull out the, the fresh food and dispense beverage piece. Um, curious as to uh, whether you're seeing consumers become more comfortable with that type of activity or if you think maybe there's a longer-term uh, kind of impairment there? Yeah, hi, John. It's it's Bob Espy. Uh, we do have our SVP marketing here today, and I'll turn that question over to Ian White. Hi, John. Yeah, thanks to see Ian. Um, I would say, you know, through the, through the, the worst of the pandemic, certainly um, into the spring, we saw that business come right off, and, and you know, for safety reasons, we had, uh, you know, we made some changes at sites. We had stopped uh, a majority of the dispensed beverage programs. What we have seen as new protocols have come into place, as consumers have become more comfortable, uh, sort of living in the current environment, and as a team has put a lot of good um, preventative measures in place and made customers feel uh, more comfortable, we've seen that business come back particularly in the summer months with, you know, frozen dispensed beverages, et cetera. So we are seeing that business come back, and we're, we're pleased with the trend to this point. Great. Thank you. And then um, working capital was a, a $400 million tailwind um, in cash from us this quarter. Can you talk about the dynamics driving that? Um, it looks like it's, it's mostly coming from payables and receivables, but not sure if it's related to commodity price or activity level or something else. And, um, should we expect some sort of a, re a reversal of that draw in the second half? 
Yeah, for sure, John. I'll, I'll turn that over to Darren, and he can provide some color on our on our balance sheet. Sure. Hi, John. It's Darren Smart here. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you're right. We did see a uh, working capital release in the quarter, uh, and as you've noted, uh, driven by a couple things. You know, first, um, higher payables uh, uh, due uh, to some extensions in, in payment deadlines for uh, some government taxes and, and duties. Uh, also, uh, lower accounts receivable and inventory. And again, as you've noted, uh, some of that is due to lower commodity prices and lower volumes. Uh, so uh, that would change with activity levels and pricing levels. Uh, but I'd also note that we did have very focused efforts in the quarter on uh, our AR collection, um, and uh, you're seeing some of the benefit of that as well. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Your next question comes from Michael Van Elst with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you, and uh, congrats on uh, on some strong execution in the quarter, guys. Um, David stole a lot of my questions, but uh, I do have uh, a few things that I wanted to clarify and then touch on. So the the fifty to seventy million and and that you mentioned, Bob, in terms of um, I guess. Uh, savings um, that are more sustainable on an annual basis. So that was so that's even once the variable, uh, even once once the volumes recover uh, to normal levels, you're comfortable that, that that's 50 to 70 million of annual costs that are out of the system. Yeah, you know, there, there's certainly um, we we will be able to retain some of those cost savings again. You know, in in the background, the team's doing a lot of work on our systems and processes that's enabling us to get some productivity improvements on a permanent basis. And is it more geared to one of the divisions that you're able to get more permanent savings? You know, at, 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 at this point, you know, we're, I would take that number across the business. Um, you know, certainly some businesses are, are going to retain more than others, but, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to follow up with Brad and Dirk after the call on that. Okay, great. Um, as far as the uh, on-the-run rollout, can you update us as to where you are in terms of the number of stores now with that banner and where you see that going the next few years? Hi, Michael. Yeah, Ian White. Um, the exact number I'd have to come back to you on because um, I don't have that handy but I can tell you around the rollout. So we did, uh, we were aggressively, as you know, pursuing um, uh, that rollout across Canada. We did pause the rollout as a result of, uh, of COVID. Uh, we have since, uh, you know, ramped up the thinking and we'll be hitting the ground running in, uh, in, uh, in 2021. Um, we are continuing to refine the process as well as we open new sites. So Bob referenced the site that, the new site that we just opened in Calgary where we're seeing Terrific results from our partnership with uh, with Triple O's, so that's got us you know, even more excited and encouraged to uh, continue to progress um, the retrofit program and also build new locations. So I'd have to have the team to come back to you and make sure I've got the exact number for you, but we anticipate to uh, to ramp up that activity uh, in uh, early 2021 and uh, and beyond. Is it getting anywhere near the 900 uh, sites that you have the journey at? Um, 
I would say we're, we're, we're probably a little less than halfway, halfway there at this point. Um, you know, a big part of, um, of the transition is taking existing um, uh, the Ultramar network and the Chevron network and shifting that to, uh, to OTR. So our focus up until the pandemic uh, for 2021 was to uh, begin to shift the, uh, uh, the Western Canada business, so the, uh, the legacy Chevron business to on the run. So that's our next area of focus. Those, those are some of our highest and most productive locations. Part of the reason we've held off to this point is we wanted to make sure we felt really good about the concept, the productivity metrics. We were seeing the results and you know, we're at a point now where we want to start to push uh, quite aggressively uh, uh, to complete that. So um, you know, a big part of it, as you said, is really the, the value of the ecosystem to tie in our forecourt and backcourt brands. So, uh, so that's going to be a, a, an important area of focus for us as we ramp uh, capital uh, back up again. So, so, Ian, does it make it more challenging then to roll out the, the journey program when you, know, you have multiple uh, banners that this is tied to? Also on the so, I mean, part of the reason we created – yeah, I mean, it's a fair, fair question. And part of the reason we created journey as an independent brand was to allow us to have multiple – uh, brands associated with it, particularly given our, our strength of having regionally relevant forecourt brands across the country uh, in different geographies. So, um, you know, is it, uh, it's certainly optimal for us to have all of our brands connected. We believe that having now uh, Journey roll out to these sites will just accelerate the productivity of on the run. So I think the short answer is, um, you know, we're, we're quite pleased what we're seeing with, with Journey, irrespective of, of on the run branded backcourts in, in a number of these locations, but feel that as soon as we do that, it'll just accelerate an already uh, successful program. Great, thanks guys. Your next question comes from Steve Henson with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning everyone. Uh, first question is uh, the, the possible or potential M&A environment. I apologize if I missed it in your opening remarks, but you did refer to some additional capital spend uh, coming forth, and I was just curious whether or not you've, you've reassessed the M&A landscape, which you you know previously suggested you were going to pause on. Yeah, hi Steve, it's Bob SB. Um, so we we are spending some more capital on growth capital, which is on sort of small smaller projects within the business where we can get a quick payback. Uh, in terms of the M&A environment. Um, you know, our intent is we are seeing activity again in that market, you know, as people pull out of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, we have ample capacity on our balance sheet to pursue M&A, and we'll certainly be in the market looking at opportunities as they come to us. Okay, helpful. And uh, just one follow-up, if I may, on the, on the journey rollout. I'm just curious, uh, having already signed up myself and finding the offering quite compelling relative to your, your peers in the market, I'm just curious whether you've, you've had any learnings thus far, you know, re really around the incentives that you're offering and whether or not uh, they need to be adjusted, whether they're uh, compelling enough, et cetera. I mean, what have been the key learnings thus far as you contemplate the broader marketing rollout uh, into the fall? Yeah, it's with Ian White. Um, yeah, I'd say a few, a few things. First of all, um, I would say the biggest learning is that when we get people into that program, and if, if, if you're part of it, you know that you get through a cycle, um, and the end of the cycle, there's a reward of, of a large fuel discount. That is incredibly compelling, and people 
uh, when they move through that cycle, our retention rate is, is, is quite good. Um, so we are, we are seeing uh, a lot of stickiness um, to the program uh, once we get folks registered. And it's become really quite appealing given uh, the sort of value conscious sort of consumer, certainly through, uh, through COVID. Um, from a learnings perspective in terms of, you know, offers, uh, we are testing a number of accelerator uh, sort of scenarios. Uh, we've got some programs, as Bob alluded to in his opening remarks, hitting uh, marketing programs, hitting with the bank. We're seeing very good uh, uh, penetration with CIBC customers, so we're seeing the appeal of our brands and our offers there, uh, so that, that, that partnership is, is working well for, for both parties. And we're also testing a number of backcourt offers from, um, uh, you know, different single-serve items to profiling our, uh, our 59th Street brands. And I would say for the most part what we're seeing is, and it's interesting to watch people gravitate towards certain types of snacks, so whether it's a, a healthy snack versus uh, an indulgent snack, and those are the items And as we start to, you know, understand consumer behavior, we're able to start to personalize, you know, directly to that consumer. So. I think that the shorter answer is lots of sort of early learnings. We're, we're throwing a number of sort of offers and ideas out there, uh, assessing customer reaction, and then continuing to build the program and the, and the, and the program um, uh, attributes accordingly. Much appreciated, guys. Thanks. Wine gum is my favorite, by the way. Great cure. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. Your next question comes from Derek DeLay with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, thanks, and, and congratulations on a strong quarter. Um, you guys mentioned that you you saw more customers coming into the convenience store this quarter, you know, without sort of purchasing fuel and then coming in. Can you talk about your plans to sort of capitalize on this customer base, and, and is this going to be something you're going to continue to focus on going forward? Yeah, hi Derek, Bob Espy. Um, yeah, you know, one of the one of the strengths in the quarter was the convenience channel. And our, our, our C-Store business held in incredibly well. Um, we did see a change in consumer behavior. It became an alternative for, uh, um, um, you know, for some of the basics that, that, that people need. And, and, you know, the beauty of the convenience channel is uh, you can get in and out quickly. And certainly in the early days of the pandemic, uh, you know, that was important to consumers. Um, you know, it's interesting at a time where our volumes were off significantly, our C-Store sales were up. So we were getting uh, a lot of visits and a lot of visits directly to the C-Store. Um, you know, hard to predict the way that that will, will uh, continue. You know, I am encouraged by what we've seen, you know, certainly through the tail end of the quarter when we did see volumes recover, we have seen that strength in same-store holds. So, uh, so, you know, as we're getting people to the forecourt, you know, we, we should continue to see good strength in our backcourt business, and, and certainly, uh, you know, that's the trend that we're seeing right now. Great. And then just on the international segment, um, with the commercial business in, in particular, uh, you mentioned you've seen it sort of come back a, a little bit. How is what is the best way for us as, as analysts or, or you know, buy side on the street to sort of track that business? Is, is there any metrics you can point us to to help us um, sort of gain some confidence and visibility in what's happening there? Um, you know, you know, again, I'll, well, we'll separate it into two parts. I'll, I'll talk about the, uh, um, you know, the, the business and how it's performing, and then uh, you know, Brad can chip in around you know what to look at externally as a guidepost. 
Um, you know, I would say the, you know, again, our commercial business has held in well and, and surprisingly well. Um, you know, part of that is the markets that we're in and uh, particularly the natural resource intensive markets where we saw, um, where we saw increased demand in, in Guyana and Suriname driven through uh, uh, the oil finds in, in Guyana and gold mining in Suriname. Um, we also, on the commercial side, supply a lot of energy into uh, the utilities, so for power generation, and, and that was robust through the period, and in fact, we won some new accounts there, so that helped that volume continue through the pandemic, and uh, our marine bunkering business held in well as an alternative to, to uh, um, um, selling fuel to, to the marine sector within within uh, the Caribbean. So, so that strength offsets some of the local onshore weaknesses that we saw due to the lockdowns. You know, again, it speaks to the strength of the team and their ability to win business in a tough environment. We do expect that, that to continue and, and certainly be a good, um, a good uh, backbone for, uh, for diesel demand in the region. Brand, did you, Brad, did you want to comment on specific indicators that we look at in those markets? I think you got most of it, Bob. Uh, from a tourism perspective, Derek, you know, folks will look at flight traffic in and out, talk to travel agencies, cruise ship bookings, things like that. Uh, but as this quarter proved, I think the the base business X tourism is performing pretty strongly as well. We do have some economies there that are quite diversified. Um, Puerto Rico is a good example, uh, and those areas will kind of ebb and flow with GDP and have been tracking more closely to. Uh, North America as it relates specifically to the pandemic. Terrific. Very helpful. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Ben Isaacson with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Ziad on for Ben. Thanks for taking my question. Um, this is more of a just kind of higher level understanding of, of, of the, the integration of that refinery and how it impacts those margins and, you know, Aside from the turnaround, you know, the beginning of this quarter has also started with, you know, lower utilization rates just because of how the market has evolved. And I just can you kind of talk a bit about how we can kind of think that should, if at all, impact margins in the other segments to, with respect to how it supplies through, the, through there? Um, yeah, let me, let me, you know, I, I think there's, there's two parts to that question. So there's the, the, um, you know, margin that we're experiencing sort of rack to street. And then there's the, uh, the, the refining margin. And, and why don't I start off and I'll, I'll talk about the rack to street margin, which was favorable in the quarter and certainly favorable year over year. You know, as, as we've talked about, I mean, they, um, you know, the, the, the rack to retail is made up of, Many players in the market, and and you know it appears that uh, um, you know the market was able to um, make up for some of the volume shortfall uh, with enhanced margins. You know, on top of that, uh, you know Parkland has done done a lot of work on our customer value proposition to make sure that uh, we're pricing markets competitively uh, throughout the country. So we've seen some of the benefit of that in our in our, you know, for example, our retail margins uh, in Canada 
and, and throughout the business. Again, the team's done a great job, job uh, managing that. You know, specifically with the refining margin, you know, why don't, why don't I turn that over to Brad and he can provide some comments on that. I think short answer is, Yad, um, you got to separate the refining margin from the rack to retail. Um, if you take that out, I think our retail margins would have been pretty consistent. We do, um, the retail group will buy um, at a competitive price in the market from the refining group, so it's, you do have to separate those. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Michelle Shredar with National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, on the data analytics um, that you've chatted about recently, wondering if that had a factor in the strong uh, fuel margins we saw in Canada, uh, if, if at all, I know it's early days. Um, and what opportunity you see uh, with those initiatives on anal analytics in terms of uh, fuel margin expansion? Yeah, you know, as we've as we've indicated, one of our pushes in 2019 was to stand up and start to build a digital analytics capability. You know, one of the things that our business is 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 has is a lot of data. Uh, we're a very data rich company. You know, we we weren't necessarily very good at utilizing that data. Um, our our data platform that we're building, and, and you would have seen a, re, uh, a release around a partnership with Amazon Web Services, has really allowed us to get better visibility into the business on a micro-market basis, you know, and, and, and just make sure that we're managing our customer value proposition appropriately for that local market. And it's enabled us to really look at pricing you know, right down to the individual sites and, and making sure that we're, uh, you know, pricing appropriately for the market conditions. So that's, that's been really beneficial. You know, I would say, um, you know, and that's just, just one initiative that we've had with our, our digital capability. Uh, again, we've, we're now able to look at uh, data across the business and make real-time decisions that help us both on the the, the value proposition side, but also on the cost side to make sure that we're optimizing in a real-time manner. Uh, we're early days into this. Um, you know, again, we just, just really stood up the team late last year. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the pandemic really helped us make sure that we focus and get, get to the information and allowed us to accelerate some of those initiatives. Okay, uh, thank you, thank you for that. Um, on uh, fuel volumes, uh, obviously good improvement uh, through the quarter. Um, it's still down year over year, and there, there's so many factors impacting the consumer. On, on, I'm talking about retail fuel volumes in particular. Um, there's work from home dynamics. There's perhaps vacationing and driving vacations within the country, um, and, and other factors as well. Wondering as you look out, um, is this uh, a situation where Parkland envisions? retail volumes permanently impaired, or do you see this gradually offsetting over time? Um, you know, hard to predict where it's going to go. I mean, I would say our, our observations uh, so far are, you know, are, are accurate to what you've said. I mean, we have seen the commute volume come off. We have seen, uh, you know, some of our, our non-urban sites that are... Um, 
gain volume because of the phenomena of people staying in Canada and, and, and driving. So, you know, there has been an offset there. You know, it'll be interesting to see through July and August, those are the big, uh, the big months where folks take holidays, how that persists. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the commute side, what we've seen is commute volume come back outside of the urban centers, you know, as people have returned to work in industrial environments and uh, you know, non-urban offices. Um, you know, obviously, as it, you know, there will be some dependency there on, on how safe people feel to go back to work and, and the rate at which offices start to open, you know, from an administrative perspective. So hard to tell the way that'll pan out. I mean, it's certainly, there is a, a portion of that, the commute side, which is tied to people feeling comfortable going into work and, 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 and doing that work. Okay, thank you for that. Um, taking a, a few steps back, and um, has COVID caused you to reevaluate any strategic pillars or business uh, focus areas for you? Maybe international expansion outside of North America, the way um, Leverage has carried on the balance sheet. Have you had any uh, thoughts on what this business, how it may change as a result of COVID? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and it's you know it's early days in terms of you know what is the long-term impact as we talked about. You know, I would say what uh, what the recent uh, um, quarter, the last quarter and a half have have allowed us to see is the resilience and flexibility of our model. You know, certainly what we've seen in the, the, the convenience segment has been encouraging in terms of the strength of that. You know, and I would say in other areas where we have seen volume declines, the ability of the business to, to scale, um, you know, quite dynamically around that has been encouraging. Um, you know, you also have to keep in mind we were in a turnaround through that period. So, you know, of of our first half of the year, three months of earnings have been lost because the refinery was in turnaround, which was a planned turnaround. But, uh, you know, that needs to be taken into account when you do look at the business. You know, and, and you know, if we were to sort of normalize that, that would have had a large impact on our earnings through a positive impact through so, you know, so as we step back, you know, the business has proven to be dynamic and flexible and, and you know, all segments have shown that they can um, be profitable throughout, you know, what has been a very tumultuous time in the uh, macro economy. Thank you for the comment. Your next question comes from Elias Fascolo with Industrial Alliance Security. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, I've got a question focused uh, on supply or the refinery. Given you know that the refineries seem to operate to the weakest link, and the weakest link I think at the moment is jet fuel, is there something that you can that you're doing short term and maybe something that you can do long term if you see something sort of structural with jet not coming back? that can help refinery utilization increase further? I'm, I'm actually pretty shocked that it's operating as, as high as it is. 
Yeah, it's it's a good question, and and certainly with our refinery in Burnaby, we do have flexibility there to adjust the amount of jet that we produce, and um, you know, and that has enabled us to increase the uh, the refining rates. Um, you know, Dirk, did you want to comment specifically on the the refinery and its uh, its flexibility around that area? Sure, and thanks very much. Uh, thank you, Elias. Yeah, as our uh, utilization rate uh, was um, had gone down. We had a better ability to take the distillate, so the heavy end of the barrel, and shift it away from uh, jet and into into diesel production. But as our production level, our utilization rate comes up, then we're going to have to shift more towards the jet side. Uh, so if you see us running at 85 versus 75, that that should be an indication that we're starting to see some jet demand come back. Uh, we are one of the largest suppliers to that Vancouver International Airport. We are connected directly by way of a pipeline to that airport. And as they are building out their uh, seaport facility, we'll be able to also send it by way of barge. So that Vancouver Airport, as volume starts to pick up, uh, Elias, we will be able to be picking up some of that volume and we'll be able to increase our utilization and switch some of that distillate production away from diesel and into jet in order to pro, uh, provide uh, jet to the airlines. Um, you know, we're about a third um, of the activity at that Vancouver airport. And, um, and we have some long-term contracts with both domestic and foreign airlines. And we'll be looking to solidify those contracts as we go forward. Okay. Um, and just one final thing, are, are we going to see some what I would call short-term tracking error in our sort of formulaic uh, approach to, to refining margins because of this shift? Uh, Elias, actually, probably not in that uh, if you look at the price of diesel and the price of jet, there's not a big difference. Uh, so really, it's a matter of what is the uptake, is the, the demand there for the product. And um, because we are uh, fortunate to be working in, a, in, a, in, an, uh, in an orbit that's an area of service that uh, is quite unique, and, and there's a fair amount of marine activity, uh, there's uh, other industrial uses for the diesel. Uh, this refinery was built in 1935 and was designed to fulfill the needs of the marketplace and so the configuration of the refinery actually works very well for the demands that come out of that marketplace uh, so I think that when uh, you know, when you're looking at the crack uh, I would suggest to you that um, the ability for us to shift back into the jet side does help us balance that the refinery but the economics don't change all that drastically okay okay that's it for me thank you very much Your next question comes from Luke Davis with RBC. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. Just wondering if you can uh, quantify your expectations for uh, any impact that you expect in Q3 from the uh, federal wage subsidy. Sorry, Luke, uh, you broke up there. I couldn't fully follow the question. Yeah, sorry. I apologize. I got some background noise here, but um, just wondering if you could quantify the impact of the uh, federal wage subsidy that you'd expect in Q3. In 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 Q3, um, 
The, uh, we did benefit from a Canadian wage subsidy in Q2. Uh, in Q3, we will, you know, again, we, we, we uh, um, um, on a monthly basis, we submit, and again, it depends how the business is doing and, and you know, what the criteria are. There have been some changes in the criteria and, uh, you know, difficult at this point to predict exactly what the benefit's going to be uh, um, from that program. Again, you know, we are thankful for the government for their assistance, and certainly through the pandemic, uh, the program helped us keep uh, some of our, our sites open. And, and, you know, as you're aware, we are we're designated an essential service, and, and that certainly allowed us to keep uh, uh, the sites open and service local communities across Canada. Great, thanks, Bob. Your next question comes from, is a follow-up from David Newman with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yeah, just a quick one, uh, guys. On the sustainability of the margins in Canada, uh, one of your competitors did remark that they were they were buying uh, low-cost fuel in the spot market and selling physical inventory forward. So I'm just wondering, is there anything that you did through the 2Q period that might uh, allow margins to persist at these uh, pretty decent levels uh, into the third quarter? Um, you know, again, our, our, our supply group was very active, making sure that we found the best value for Parkland. Um, you know, we certainly worked with our refining partners across all of our jurisdictions to make sure that we... Uh, um, you know, lift from them in, in the most uh, effective manner possible. Um, you know, in terms of projecting forward, again, difficult to do at this point, um, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, our, our teams, you know, both on the marketing side and the supply side uh, are keyed in on that, and we'll make sure that we, we, we take, uh, um, you know, our, our fair share of what the market gives us. Excellent. Thanks, Bob. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening in and look forward to connecting with uh, folks after our, our Q3. Have a great summer. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.